the gospel for this day, in which we continue in the season of Pentecost and honor the life of St. Francis, comes from Matthew chapter 10. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not take a road leading to the Gentiles, and do not enter a Samaritan town, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with a skin disease, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Take no gold or silver or copper in your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, or for laborers deserve their food. Whatever town or village you enter, find who in it is worthy and stay there until you leave. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet as you leave that house or town. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Francis of Assisi was born, we think, in the year 1181, maybe 1182. He was baptized with the name Giovanni, but was renamed a bit later on, perhaps because his father had business interests in France, or maybe because his mother was French. At any rate, he grew up in Assisi, Italy, in relative wealth and comfort. Some biographies say that he was a bit of a wild child in his youth. One article about him says that although he had an exuberant love of life and a general spirit of worldliness, he was without serious moral lapses. I guess just minor moral lapses then? I don't know. He's in good company. We all have those. As a very young man, maybe 20 years old or so, Francis was held prisoner for his part in a war between Assisi and Perugia. During that time, and in the year or so after his release, he became and remained very ill. By the time he had recovered, he decided to renounce his old life, that minor moral lapses life, and answer a call that he felt from God. That is, to live in poverty and simplicity and in community with others. He gave up everything he owned, right down to his clothing. One story says that Francis's father was so sort of bewildered and angry by his son's decision to give up all this stuff that he took Francis to the Bishop of Assisi, I guess to straighten him out, and in front of everyone there, Francis stripped off all his clothes, and I, I really, I read it, I mean, I mean all, and said to the group, gave his clothes to his father, and said to everyone, until now I have called you my father on earth, but now I can truly say, my father art in heaven. With all due respect to Francis, may I request that we do not repeat this sign of devotion when we pray the Lord's Prayer later on today. Given this level of dedication and fervor, it might not surprise you to hear that Francis also had strong reactions to sermons. In 1208, he heard a sermon on the gospel text that we just heard, Matthew chapter 10, in which the 12 disciples are sent out by Jesus to proclaim that the kingdom of God is near. 
or in other translations, the kingdom of God is at hand. They are supposed to go without payment, without supplies, without any worldly goods. They're asked to rely on the hospitality and the kindness of strangers and to disavow any violence, even when they're not welcomed into a town. Just brush it off and move on. It was upon hearing that gospel and that sermon that Francis proclaimed his life would be following this work. He said, this is what I wish, this is what I am seeking, this is what I want to do from the bottom of my heart. So that's what he did. Francis went on to form an order of monks, later called Franciscans after his name, who also chose lives of poverty and simplicity and community. Francis worked with a woman in Assisi named Claire, later called St. Claire of Assisi, and together they formed a similar order for women. Claire herself had fled an arranged marriage to someone she'd really never met. And while we might think of the life of a nun as a pretty restrictive way of living, those communities of women actually gave Claire and many other women of her time a freedom that they would not easily have found in secular life. All of this I'm telling you because today we honor Francis as St. Francis on his saint day, which is always marked on the day of someone's death, their, their birth into heaven, so to speak. Francis died on October 4th, and so many churches observe St. Francis Day on the first Sunday of October, especially with a blessing of the animals, as you already heard. Now, this might bring two questions to mind for you. One, what does Francis have to do with bringing my dog to get a blessing on the front steps of the church? And two, I thought saints were more of a Catholic thing. Isn't this a Lutheran church? How does that work exactly? What good questions. I'm glad you asked. All right. First, the blessing of the animals. Of all the extraordinary things about Francis's life, and there are many, some of the most remarkable stories are about his deep love for creation. He was known to preach to the birds. They were his congregation. He referred to Brother Moon and Sister Sun, words that we'll sing in our sending hymn later today. It's said that Francis once brokered a peace agreement between a town and the wolf that was attacking them. He convinced the town people to leave some food outside their walls for the wolf, and apparently he convinced the wolf to stop attacking the townspeople. Impressive. Francis believed that nature was a mirror for God. It was a way that we encounter God in our everyday lives. He also taught that the way we treat the earth and the animals, some of the most vulnerable creatures, both forms and reveals the way we treat each other. So he said, those who would exclude any of God's creatures from the shelter of compassion and pity will deal likewise with fellow men and women. There's no question that Francis was an unusual person. But his capacity to see God in the earth, in the created things, in animals and plants, in patterns of wind and water and sun and moon, in the creatures and the planet whose well-being depends so much on the way we human beings use our power and capacities, 
Francis's reminder of all of that still remains a great gift to us. Think back to that Genesis reading that we heard read just a bit earlier today. When God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every living creature. For generations, sadly, the Christian tradition has interpreted that verse to mean, you're the humans, you're in charge, do whatever you want. But in reality, those ancient Hebrew words mean things like, be responsible, take care, have dominion, that is, be as if you were God, the God of love and mercy and justice in this world. Francis knew this. He lived it. And he offers us a vision and a challenge of how we might do the same. So that's why today, in his honor and following that call, we are going to bring our small corners of creation, our dogs and cats, our fish and birds, the animals that we have learned to love and care for, to be blessed. We bring them as a sign of our deep connection to all creation, We bring them because while we are in charge of their welfare, they are so often the ones who have taught us how to love. We might bring them in the faint hope that a blessing on the church steps might stop them from eating everyone's socks and throwing up on the carpet. Although I regret to tell you the pastors have zero capacity to change that. But maybe we should expand this blessing not just for animals, Maybe we should say, include whatever creation you interact with. Bring your houseplants, your gardening tools, your recycling bin, your LED light bulbs, your electric car. Bring your compost pile. Don't actually do that. (laughs) A glass of water from Lake Washington, the the, the, the dirt that your home is built on, the sand from the beach. Bring creation to be blessed and to remind us that we are called to care for it. We confessed earlier today that we failed that in many ways. Just this week, we have seen how our disregard for creation worsens the realities of some of creation's harder edges. We've watched our siblings around the world be swallowed up by water, crushed by hurricanes, stricken by drought, consumed by fire. The earth is not a warm and fuzzy place. But in all its complexity, all its beauty and brokenness, it's still our call to care for this earth as best we can. We can use all the voices there are out there to remind us of this, even Francis, that voice from 800 years ago. So, okay, Francis, great guy, great example, but why a saint? Why do we need saints? Why can't we just rely on the Bible to tell us, as it so reliably and beautifully does, that we are to care for the earth and all its resources. That we are to walk away from the temptation to let wealth and the pursuit of it rule our lives. That we're called to be in healthy and meaningful communities together. Why do we need some guy from 800 years ago for that? And why do we call him a saint? We can look back not as quite as far as Francis, 500 years in the, in the past, to Martin Luther to help us with this. Martin Luther, for whom our tradition is named, you might remember, 
spent his whole life as a Roman Catholic and a fair amount of his life as a monk. He embraced saints as a part of his own tradition. It was a way to learn about the lives of men and women whose faith was particularly inspirational and amazing. But in his time, Luther also noticed an especially human tendency, that is our ability to take a good thing and twist it, manipulate it, blow it out of proportion, and pretty frequently try to make money off of it. He noticed how saints were being used not as inspiration, but as condemnation. Say to people, see, you'll never be as good as this person. Saints were turned into examples so perfect you could never measure up. Their bodies after they died, bits of their clothing, parts of their legacy were sold to churches or given to churches so churches could charge people to come in and see, you know, St. Francis's left finger. You could hardly blame Luther or anyone for giving up on the whole idea of saints and tossing it into the historical garbage bin. But Luther did not. Instead, Luther reminded us that in God's eyes, we are all saints. Not because we're extra good. Not because we are perfect examples of faith. And certainly not because God thinks more highly of some of us than others. But because, for better and worse, we believe in a God who gets things done through human beings, all of whom are flawed. We have come to know and believe and trust in a God who became flesh and blood in Jesus Christ, who chose to live in a real human body, which means catching a cold and scraping your knee, being hungry and thirsty, weeping and laughing. What makes any of us saints is not that we are better than human. What makes us saints is that we are fully human and beloved by a God who is determined to change this world through us, every single one of us. Now, Luther also reminded us of another truth. We are saints and sinners, both at the same time. We are loving and selfish. We are generous beyond measure and greedy. We are heroic and cowardly, sometimes all of it in a five-minute span. Just like creation, we are a beautiful and broken mess of joy and fear and wisdom prejudice and ingenuity and sheer stupidity with moments of astonishing joy and baffling cruelty. I suppose we don't need saints to tell us that. We come to know it in this life. We learn it and experience it on our own in plenty of ways. But maybe not just in the lives of the famous saints, like Francis and Claire, but the saint who is sitting right next to you today, or the saint you will ride home with in the car, or the saint you will sit next to at work or on the bus this week, or the saint you will meet while quilting on Thursdays. Maybe in the lives of the saints, God is giving us something we can't find any other way, a reminder that we are not alone.
that when we fail and struggle or suffer, and we wonder if any of this is true, we are in good company. That when we love and share and advocate and feed one another and the other parts of creation in our care, even the dog, we are not alone. So we may never end up like Francis or Claire or Martin Luther or anyone else for that matter, but we're not supposed to be them. We are supposed to be us, fully us, sinner and saint, blessed and blessing for the sake of the world. Mary Oliver is an American poet who died a few years ago. She wrote about faith and God, but almost entirely about faith and God in the ways she encountered those in creation. Someone once called her the patron saint of paying attention, which is in the end maybe what Francis was up to as well. Paying attention to this world where the kingdom of God is as close as our hands. So as a blessing on this St. Francis Day, I offer you her poem called Messenger. My work is loving the world. Here the sunflowers, there the hummingbird, equal seekers of sweetness. Here the quickening yeast, there the blue plums, here the clam deep in the speckled sand. Are my boots old? Is my coat torn? Am I no longer young and still not half perfect? Let me keep my mind on what matters, which is my work, which is mostly standing still and learning to be astonished. The Phoebe, the Delphinium, the sheep in the pasture, and the pasture, which is mostly rejoicing since all the ingredients are here, which is gratitude to have been given a mind and a heart in these body clothes, a mouth with which to give shouts of joy to the moth and the wren and the sleepy dug-up clam, telling them all over and over how it is that we live forever. Amen.